This is Fair Examination on the Mormon Faircast. Fair Examination takes a close look at interesting and sometimes difficult issues facing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its members. This is the second half of my two-part interview with Stephen Wilson. So you talked about how uh, it was a struggle for you and Kenneth to abide by the law of chastity. How have you learned to manage that up to this point? Um, do you still do you still struggle with that? Um, recently, there's been some times because I was on medication that um, that spiked my testosterone, so that kind of got those urges going, but not towards him per se. Just my sexuality got awakened, you could say. Um, switched my medications around, and I'm fine. But basically, we're fine. Like I said, it's kind of been shut off. And we've been very blessed in that, in that aspect. And so, as we're speaking today, would you say that you still experience same-sex attraction? I would say no. Okay. And if so, maybe 0.5%. I mean, I don't know if I can engage it. No. I don't lust after men like I used to. I don't see them in a sexual way whatsoever. I just see them as sons or daughters of God. No labels whatsoever. Do you experience... Uh, attraction toward members of the opposite sex yes not sexually i just recognize your beauty okay is, is that different than the way in which you recognize beauty in men well before most definitely before i just recognized more of a more lustful sexual with men but now it's the same with men and women i recognize the true potential as children of god and i don't want to devalue or demoralize any of that they're, to me they're beautiful people beautiful children of god I've heard some homosexual men express themselves to the extent of that it would be revolting to them, you know, the idea of um, you know, marrying a woman. It's you know, not something that they could imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, is that something you could imagine for yourself? Almost definitely, and I hope so. I mean, like, I don't say this. I mean, yeah, I've had sexual relations with women. I have no problem. I guess, you know, some of our listeners may be asking themselves, whether you would have considered yourself bisexual or did you consider yourself homosexual? Before I really experimented in my homosexual lifestyle, I only had sex with women twice. So call that what you will. I couldn't, I don't know, I mean, how many episodes of an activity you need to be labeled. I mean, I don't believe in labels anyway. Uh, I think due to my, this is my own personal opinion, due to my um, molestation earlier in life, and just the the abundance of attention from men, it was easier for me to get what I wanted that way. Okay. Now, you mentioned to me before we uh, began recording this episode that you had experienced episode of molestation. Mm-hmm. So you know, our listeners wouldn't be familiar with what you're referring to there. Um, are you comfortable explaining what happened there and, and how that affected your sexuality? I'm not going into great detail, but I was sexually molested by various men through, um, I'd say, roughly around seven or eight until I was probably 12 or 13. And it definitely skewed my outlook on life, sexually, that is. In what way? Um, just to receive pleasure. I thought it was more only gain toward men. It just it really messes with a, a young person's psyche and mind, especially at my early age. And... You always think, well, I can say you always, but at least I'm speaking from my perspective, that I was the victim, that I caused all this. 
and the people that molested me are sneaky, you know, what's, and they use any and all to play upon your weaknesses. Obviously, they wouldn't come upon you because they know, I mean, it's very predatory. And I was very, I was very sensitive, very emotional in nature, kind of shy. And I came from a home that didn't have very much communication or, I mean, there's a lot of love, like, behind the scenes. I had no doubt my my family and my brothers and I never never doubted the love we had for each other, but it was really never really shown or given that much. So when I received any type of an affection, whether that be sexual or just praise, I absorbed it and went after it. I knew nothing. I mean, it felt so good to me. If you were to describe your theory as to how it is you became identified as same sexually attracted, what factors would you point to? Um, my personal belief, I, it's a fine line. Um, I said I've been myself, I feel I'm emotional and more in tune spiritually or just more sensitive in nature. But also, um, I didn't have a father figure for the first couple of years of my life because my father was in the Navy. And my mom is kind of a dominant at times, or she can be. And she basically had the household going, taking care of three kids, and my father's in the Navy. So that's what she had to do. Otherwise, our family couldn't survive. I appreciate my, my parents' toughness and resilience and fortitude and sacrifices they put forth so our family could stay together. Um, I remember my father saying at one point, he goes, you know, coming back from the Navy, is like, your, your mom really didn't need me. I mean, you know, to bring home the bacon, yes, but she had the household... You know, underneath her thumb, she had everything running. It was hard for him to find his place. And I had a hard time finding a place for him in my life because I didn't know who the heck he was. He had a hard time with me being, quote-unquote, being so sensitive and being a mama's boy. And another reason why um, my father and I really never headed off, he teased me quite a bit throughout my adolescence. And when I was going through puberty, I had acne really bad. He called me names and... But I knew that wasn't really my father. I was just the alcohol and some evil thing that was representing my father. And then underneath there, there was a father that I remember sitting on his lap as a young boy, cuddling up next to him, and just snuggling in his neck. I'll never forget those times. That's my father. And the father I have now is back. Obviously, I'm much bigger. I can't sit in his lap, but I love his hugs and his affection. He was just very lost in addiction like I was for some time. So you had some elements in your past of molestation by males. You had, uh, I guess, what you know some people would identify as an effeminate nature. There was a little bit more um, emotionally oriented, shy. Uh, you also had the uh, you know dominating mother and and kind of emotionally distant father. Um, so some of those things that uh, you know people you know, traditionally identify as, as leading to same-sex attraction. Do you think that there's also a, a, a choice component that comes into play when um, you look back on what led to your engaging in homosexual activity? Oh, most definitely. Um, it's definitely a choice. Just like um, you have many choices throughout the day to decide what shoes you're going to wear, shirt, tie, whatever, which way you might go to work or... It's definitely a choice of who you're going to go to bed with. You might have emotionally predisposed or certain reasons why you might be more comfortable with someone of the same sex or you might relate with them better. 
But you automatically choose with who you're going to give your body to or do whatever you're going to do with sexually. Right. So, you know, obviously anyone can decide that they're, you know, going to have sex or not going to have sex. Um, I guess the question is, is do you think that those decisions that you made influenced the the extent to which you felt an inclination toward having sex with men? In other words, if we distinguish between behavior and, you know, tendencies or inclinations or temptations, um, did your pursuing sexual activity with men heighten your uh, attractiveness toward men? Most definitely. It was feeding upon itself. Okay. Like a snowball going downhill. I think most people would find it unbelievable that at this point that you're saying you don't really experience that anymore. To what do you attribute that loss of same-sex attraction? Um, people might laugh, but to one extent, I don't know what percentage, but uh, Kenneth and I haven't had TD in our home for well, this January big going on eight years. So we're not inundated with all the sexual innuendos through anything from commercials to TV programs. I mean, there's enough of that when you just go out to grocery shop, just everything's on the cover. I mean, sex sells anything and everything. Um, I had a lot of triggers to get over, sexual triggers. When I'd see a man or just certain things or sometimes it was songs that might have heard in a, a gay club or something. I had a lot of problems with, with sexual triggers. Um, but the church's 12-step program for addictions doesn't just work with alcoholism. It works with any addiction. And it's wonderful because it's all based upon the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I've utilized the church's program, um, my goodness, for a while now. I have, starting this July, this past July, I have over nine years sobriety of being addicted to prescription pain meds. And without the church's program, I wouldn't be sober. Um, it's just a great program. And the missionary couples that are being called to that, many I still call my friends, great friends, and I appreciate the sacrifices they put forth. But the atonement changes people. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes people. But without any desire to have that willingness to change, or as we've been using the word, to choose to change, you're not going to. You're going to be hitting yourself in the head with a brick wall. How do people outside the church react when they hear your story? Not much. They don't seem that impressed. And I mean, in one aspect, I'm not that impressed by us, but when we hear from Kenneth's mom, she gives us praise up and down for what we have accomplished. And um, the secular world doesn't look at us, they look at us a couple of different ways. One, they don't believe us. One, we're never gay in the first place. Two, you can't change. Or three, the famous line, God doesn't exist and you're faking it. Basically, those are one of those three things in the secular world. And in the church family or the, or the or the spiritual side of things, they're like Kenneth's mom. They're kind of blown away. Uh, we shared some of our story with um, our ward members, and I'm just pleasantly surprised by how much they admire us for what we've done. But I just feel we're just living our lives trying to become more like Jesus Christ. So how are things different now in comparison to the time when you first realized that you're experiencing same-sex attraction? Well, that's a broad question. You're talking about... Before I joined the church, I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, how how is your life different? Oh, 180 completely, completely, completely different. Um, I'm not in various stages of addiction trying to kill myself. Um, I'm actually happy. I'm not spiritually dead. Uh, like I said, I had no spiritual upbringing in my life. I didn't even know how to pray when I joined the church. Didn't know how to address Heavenly Father. Didn't even know Jesus Christ was a mediator between us. I was very spiritually naive. So my life has greatly improved. I mean, without the gospel and without priesthood blessings and without the priesthood in my life, period, I know I would not be here. I'd be dead. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, trying to kill yourself. There's been so much talk in the media lately about how the LDS church drives homosexual males to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on that? Do you think that the uh, teachings of the church and the, I guess, the pressures that are exerted on us to, to live the laws of the gospel are driving homosexual males to kill themselves? I can't speak on their behalf, nor would I, nor would I want to say what's in their hearts and minds. But from what I've sensed and read and talked to other people and what I read on North Star, yeah, there is a whole heck of a lot of pressure within the church body to live this perfect life. Um, and I guess there's extra pressures since you're carrying around this same-sex attraction with you. I joined the church when I was 31. That's 13 years ago. So I'm 44, and um, so I didn't have these pressures of, I don't know if I could get this under wraps before I go on a mission, or I hope I don't act out, or a lot of pressures. And also, well, 30 years ago, or if I was born in the church, um, the thought processes about homosexuality and all that other stuff is different, and how they treated it. Uh, the church is a lot more open than what they were even 13 years ago when I joined the church. I can't say what caused men or women to kill themselves. I was bringing up, I was trying to kill myself with drugs due to my addictions because I had no self-love. But, yeah, there seems to be a lot more suicide rates with homosexual men and women in general, not just within the church, just worldwide. It needs to be addressed, but I think just with the church's history and when, quote-unquote, Christianity's history, that homosexuality is wrong which if you understand the true doctrine, doctrine never changes. The morals and norms that society does, you're either going to agree with it or you don't. There's no gray area. And I realize that it's wrong. My heart tells me it's wrong. When I pray about it, I know when I was living the homosexual lifestyle, it's wrong. But each individual, each individual person has to find that for him or herself. And I know the 15 brethren that hold the apostolic keys need to preach repentance. But sometimes it has to be done with a stern hand like President Packer did, but also sometimes I think it has to come across with a lot more compassion and love. Um, I think Jesus Christ would be a lot more compassionate and loving towards homosexuals than they have been in the past, and I think we're slowly getting there. So when you talked before about thoughts of killing yourself, are you attributing that to having been addicted to drugs or uh, did some aspect of your homosexual activity come into play as well? No, never my sexuality have to do anything with uh, killing myself. That's when I was um, just at a very low, po- low point in my life, and um, I had HIV, and basically gave up on life. I saw all my friends dying off from the virus. Um, we really had no medications out there. The toxicity of the drugs themselves were 
just killing many of my friends that if they didn't take the meds. And I was very unhappy. I had no self-love. Um, yeah, anything I could get my hands upon. The only thing I didn't do was shoot up, thank goodness. It was ridiculous. It was a very sad place to be. It would be a very dark place. But I realized on the flip side, like I said, with trials and tribulations comes great blessings. It took me 13 years to get to this point. Looking back, I wouldn't change any of it, even getting AIDS virus, HIV. I wouldn't be the man that I am today. Why is that? You say that you uh, that you don't, I guess, begrudge your, your station in life and that you have HIV. And what is it about your experience that you're grateful for? I could testify to you that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ live. Before coming down with this illness, I didn't know who they were. They even existed, that there are three separate people, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. Um, I didn't know the power of the priesthood, the power of the heavens, the power of prayer, the power of love. All these things were foreign to me. And if I didn't have this disease that wouldn't open my eyes, um, I was part of bringing Proposition 215 to light in California, which is for medical marijuana. I've met some people that most societies wouldn't even get the time of day, talking about homeless people, um, people that, drug addicts, People, you look down the street, you walk on the other side or go the opposite way. But these are also children of our Heavenly Father. And some of them are so beautiful. Maybe the outside shells were dented, scratched, looked like hell. But they're inside, they still have the light of Christ and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to witness the love that they had, even though it might be small. They might have had a lot of darkness within themselves. But just to walk amongst those people. I've walked along amongst a wide variety of people on this earth. And without that ability of me contracting this virus, I wouldn't realize these beautiful children would be there. You just walk by them on the street and not even acknowledge them. Pieces of dirt, trash. That's how I used to think. And I'm not the only person out there thinking like that. But when you realize that everyone's a brother or basically, bottom line, son and daughter of our Heavenly Father, your whole outlook changes. How can it not? And you want to share this wonderful gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ with all those who don't have it. Because when you cross over, it's going to be so much harder to lose those addictions. So much harder. I really appreciate you saying that. It's, um, it's an amazing perspective that you have. You know, all of us experience trials in our lives. And, you know, I think if we're honest, we can look back and see how our trials give us experience. They help us to grow. You know, we can learn from them. You know, I, there are a few people, I think, that uh, can say that they've experienced the kinds of trials that you have, and it's encouraging to hear how even when you experience trials to the extent that you have, that you can find um, growth and strength that comes from that and an increase in compassion for people. So I appreciate you sharing that. Well, you're welcome. But I must tell you, I didn't have this before I joined the church. Like I said, I was cocky. I was arrogant. Um, before I joined the church, I felt like I was climbing the ladder, but finding that I was, I was leaning on the wrong side of the wall to get to my goals or purpose in life. I never had this, the focus that I do now. So do you feel like the church helped you to understand the purpose of your trials and to, to grow from them? Most definitely. Most definitely. If not, I'd probably be a bitter man, probably be dead. 
just out of anger eating me up. Why me? Poor me. Pity party me. But I'm the one that brought this upon myself. That's what a lot of people have to realize. You're responsible for your choices, and you're responsible for the actions of those choices. If you go around blaming and pointing fingers at everybody else except for looking at the person in the mirror, you're going to be lost a very long time. And that's where I was. Trust me, the gospel has stretched my soul's and soul in ways I didn't want it to at the time. But I appreciate it. Looking back, hindsight is wonderful. The, the gospel for me personally has made me spiritually grow in ways that I thought I never could or want to. I'm very grateful for how the heavens mold you to be the man or woman you need to be to help further along this gospel of Jesus Christ and help build up the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. Now, you mentioned your involvement with um, the uh, proposition in California on medical marijuana. I, I can imagine our listeners are going to be wondering what that's all about. Proposition 215. 215. Um, it was on the ballot a couple times and back in 1996. got enough votes, and it was passed, I think, a little over 54% or 52% by the people here in California. And that was strictly to provide medical cannabis for people that needed the me medical need for it, for cancer patients, AIDS patients, um, any type of disorder or medical condition that you had a, a note from a licensed doctor that he or she deemed necessary felt that cannabis would bring positive results for your condition. I use it for my AIDS condition, for my peripheral neuropathy pain, also for weight gain. But now it's not what it used to be so many years ago. It's being abused. People are just abusing it in ways that are un unbelievable. And so um, you have been using medical marijuana uh, in order to treat some of the symptoms of the, the, uh, uh, the diseases you've had. Is that right? I have been. I'm tapering off. Uh, you will probably quit very, very soon in the future. Why is it you're tapering off? Number one, it's too darn expensive. I should say, number one, I was prompted by the heavens to be as uh, clean as possible, to have a clear mind, clear spirit, clean, clear body. I mean, our body is a temple, so um, I need to not take as many drugs prescribed or whatever to have a clear mind and heart and soul so I could do what I need to to help move the gospel forward. And I really don't need it anymore. Um, medication's out now for my... My nerve pain in my legs is the best it's been in 16 years. It's fantastic. And so there are, there are other medications that are helping fill that gap. Most definitely. Have your church leaders been aware that you've been taking medical marijuana? Yes, when we first joined the church, um, both Kenneth and I were very honest up front. Oh, they asked us questions. But, yeah, we've always told them that was part of our uh, medical regime. And um, since the church upholds the laws of the lands or the state or, or whatever, um, they had to abide by it. But we also don't abuse it, and we only use it for the purpose that it's intended, just to help our ailments, whatever they may be. That's never been an issue with respect to your temple worthiness? No. Um, when I first joined the church, the stake president, we spoke with him separately, of course, but we talked about him. He wanted to know about our use, um, how often, what we did, the purpose, I think even about that time, we even shared some literature. They had no problem with it, okay. along with my bishop. And since that point, we never had to bring it up since, what's the point? It's already been approved, and there's no reason to bring it up every temple recommend. Well, you know, I, I think that it's interesting that um, 
you know, you mentioned how your stake president approached that, and uh, you know, church leaders have worked with you on that. Um, not only have you held a temple recommend, you have also been an ordinance worker in the temple. Is that right? Yes, I've worked the veil numerous times. So in many respects, it would be safe to say that you have been as active as anyone in the church. How have members of the church reacted when they hear your story? Um, I can tell you two different versions. When I first joined the church, there's still, I wouldn't use the word bigotry, but um, I guess you could say cautiousness. But some people there was bigotry. Um, these people are no longer in our ward. This, different various families I'm speaking of, but I remember a young mother would never let her children come around me because she heard quote-unquote rumors about May AIDS. Someone who was in the Elders Corp presidency at the time found out that I consumed uh, cannabis or, you know, vaporized cannabis, and he was not happy, didn't understand how come I could have a temple recommend and still go to church, take the sacrament, yada, yada, yada. He wasn't from California. I mean, I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but I've had some some brick walls shoved in front of my face and very standoffish attitudes and some negative behavior when I first joined the church 13 years ago. But those people are no longer there. Now, fast forward to 2011, it's much better. Um, people totally understand how the virus is contracted and all that. Um, my bishop is keen. He knows not to put us around young children just because of the fact of they're more likely to carry germs and catch colds and all that. Even though our viruses are in check, we're still susceptible to getting sicker faster than other people since our immune systems are weak. We really have no problems. I mean, I remember before people were a little leery holding us, giving their babies to hold or that's nothing like it used to be. It's I think it's pretty much normal unless a new couple or a new family comes in the war and they hear rumors or don't take the time out to ask us directly. I mean, since I joined the church, I know the Mormons are known for gossip, and it's just one of those things, positive or negative, happens in our war at our stake. Um, it is what it is, but they shouldn't just blindly rely on gossip. I mean, if they want to know something about me, I feel my life is an open book. Ask me. There's a time and place to ask any and everything if you're adults. Do you think people in your uh, your ward, uh, members of the church who, who are acquainted with you, uh, do they see you as someone who's experiencing same-sex attraction, or do they see you as, you know, a single male member of their ward? I think the latter. Most people think of us, Kenneth and I, roommates, call us as roommates. We um, have home teaching families with lots of children. They have no problems with them coming over to us, give us hugs at church, at their homes. I mean, we feel very blessed. For, our ward is awesome. I'm, I'm sure most people say that, but I, I, the only ward I've known, but feel truly blessed to have such a great ward. Awesome bishopric, great stake presidency now. It's just truly blessed to be part of the gospel. And the people in our ward truly treat us like family. I mean, for war dinners and stuff, Kenneth and I, we love to cook, so we're asked to cook the Thanksgiving turkey or ham or Christmas. We'd love to do stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. You know, LDS Family Services estimates that there are three or four or five members in every 
you know, ward, I guess, of an average size mm-hmm. that experience same-sex attraction. Wow. Um, maybe about half of those are married. Most of those are temple marriages, and most have children. So wow. we're probably all associating with active members of the church that experience same-sex attraction, and we may not even know it. I had no idea those figures were that high. That blows me away. Do you think members of the church who experience same-sex attraction are encouraged by the church to remain closeted or lie about their attractions? Uh, Two different things. I'm finding out if you're seeing the same-sex attracted, you usually have a positive aspect about that because that kind of connotates, okay, you're a male or female, you have feelings of the same sex, but you're actually trying to live the Gospels and precepts of the the gospel of Jesus Christ, but if you're saying, uh, coming out, I'm gay, I'm homosexual, I'm a lesbian, that, to me, connotates I'm living a lifestyle or I'm sexually active. So I think the fine line on how you come out. Some people are some people are fine saying I'm gay. At first, when I joined the church, I thought that was okay, but it's not. That more, to me, connotates I'm sexually active and I'm not. I have same-sex attraction back then. I haven't been sexually active for 13 years now. That does not define me. I'm a son of God, period. So your orientation or your identification is not so much I'm homosexual or, you know, asexual, but your identity is as a son of God. Yes, as basis in scriptural fact. Every other label that anyone else chooses, I'm gay, I have SSA, SGA, I'm a lesbian, I'm straight, it's all earth labels. I don't believe in them. I mean, you don't find any of those in the Bible or Scripture. Many critics of the church say that it's unfair for the church to ask people, people with you know same-sex attraction or, or anybody, to remain celibate, and that doing so leads to misery and, and you know isolation. How would you respond to that? Bluntly, I think it's ridiculous. Maybe they don't have the full understanding of the blessings of being celibate. Listen to who you do listening to. I'm a person who didn't have any spiritual background, and now I have AIDS. And if I was celibate, I wouldn't have AIDS. Hello, there's one big blessing right there. Um, To me, it's a no-brainer. Maybe because I have this disease, I don't know. But also, when I came under Christ, I realized when a prophet says something past or present, you obey it. To me, it's pretty simple. Being celibate is just another commandment that we have to follow upon. I actually had more problems with paying tithing than coming under celibacy once I had firm grasp upon it. Um, when people fully understand the blessings, I mean, there's so many sexual diseases. But just besides that, I mean, in high school, I had a pregnancy scare, even though my girlfriend was on the pill. That freaked the heck out of me. It's like, okay, I'm not even 18. I'm going to have a child. What the heck have I done? What have I done to this young lady? I mean, I thought our lives were ruined. You don't play with stuff. We don't play with procreation. There's a reason why this act of making love with your wife or when you're married is so sacred. I mean, pornography and everything else has skewed this, and Satan has threw everything into a big mess. They think if you don't have sex on the first date or have sexual relations with somebody, something's wrong. It's 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 ridiculous. I love how the church is based. Get to know the person before you get to know anything that intimate about them. I think chastity is needed more in this world. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's an outdated principle at all. 
actually our society is outdated with the values and norms. Like I said, everything that's in the scripture is eternal. That's never going to change. Society's norms and values, of, unfortunately, they are skewed by Satan's, Satan's outlooks on life. I fully hardly support chastity in the church's position. I think people that do not understand it need to prayerfully understand the consequences. Like I said, I have AIDS. Don't go that far or even go that route. It's not needed. Are there particular challenges that you face as a member of the church uh, in light of the fact that you have AIDS? The only thing I would say is just my health at times, but per se in the church, no. Just sometimes I get tired or run down, but overall, at this stage in the church, no. Are there um, any kind of stereotypes that you've had to confront or overcome either by virtue of your uh, past with same-sex attraction or uh, as an AIDS patient? I think when I first joined the church with same-sex attraction, you know, I was talking about those those couples that had problems with with me being gay in the church, kids around their kids, etc. Not so anymore. Not so much stereo stereotyping. There are probably a number of people that would say that someone with same-sex attraction, I, I guess the same-sex attraction issues would prevent them from being a good Mormon. Um, how would you respond to that? If they choose to say that, then they don't have their life in order. To me, that's what comes to mind. I mean, if you have your life in order, you know what you want in life, and if you're truly being a good Latter-day Saint, I mean, like my bishop has shared with me, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is perfect. The people are not. I mean, we're still trying to perfect the saints. I'm far from perfect. The Lord knows that. But each day, I try to live my life the best I can. Just saying you have SSA makes it harder to live the gospel. I disagree. You can say that about anything. I'm an addict, so that makes it hard to live the gospel. No. You need the tools. For me, it was a 12-step to get over my addiction. But also, the atonement is tied in everywhere you go within the gospel. And if you don't have the atonement in your life, apply it in somehow, some form, some fashion, in any area of your life, you're not going to move forward in growth, regardless if it's in SSA, your addictions, or just to move your family forward in the gospel to be an eternal family. You need to have a big, broader scope of the atonement, but also the interpersonal relationship and dimension that you could apply in your life on a daily, minute-by-minute basis if necessary. So nothing should be hard in the gospel at least from my perspective. You know, I think that there are there are probably many ways that members of the church have, you know, they're, they're isolated incidences of people being insensitive, maybe even cruel. You know, like you said, that the members of the church aren't perfect. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, we're all learning and growing. I have appreciated some of the statements that have come from the top leadership of the church. You know, and I have to say, I've also been very impressed as I've, you know, listened to stories about, you know, maybe members who, who experience same-sex attraction or all different kinds of, of struggles at um, how well they've been treated by their bishops and stake presidents. Um, but, you know, as I've, as I've been researching these issues, um, it's been so interesting to me to see how, you know, there's a public perception that the LDS Church does not treat people well who experience same-sex attraction, and then you compare that with statements from the leaders of the church. 
um, Elder Packer in uh, 2000 in General Conference. Let me just read you a quote from his talk he gave. It's, it's entitled, Year of the Temple of God. He said, we understand why some people feel we reject them. That is not true. We do not reject you, only immoral behavior. We cannot reject you, for you are the sons and daughters of God. We will not reject you because we love you. You may even feel that we do not love you. That is also not true. Parents know, and one day you will know, that there are times when parents and we who lead the church must extend tough love when failing to teach and warn and to discipline is to destroy. Now, in light of that, and, and there are numerous other comments that President Packer has made to that effect, in October General Conference of last year, in uh, 2010, President Packer gave a talk that caused quite a stir in the media. Let me just read what he said from the pulpit. He said, some suppose that they were preset and cannot overcome what they feel are inborn tendencies toward the impure and unnatural. Not so. Why would our Heavenly Father do that to anyone? Remember, He is our Heavenly Father. Now, as sometimes is the case, the printed version was uh, changed a little bit at the request of President Packer. And instead of tendencies, the word was changed to temptations. And he removed the phrase, why would Heavenly Father do that to anyone? But when you heard that, do you remember hearing that when he said that from the pulpit in, in October conference last oh, year? Oh, yeah. I, I was watching conference when he said it. And what was your reaction to that statement? He nailed it on the head, hit the nail on the head. He spoke truth, and people didn't like it when they're not ready to hear truth. The truth goes through three stages. First, it's usually hit, responded with anger. Second, it's ridiculed. And third step, it's finally accepted as fact or pure truth. Maybe five years down the line, or maybe not even President Packard's time, but everything they say is, is Scripture. You don't have to say, say, thus saith the Holy Ghost, or this is coming from Heavenly Father. I had no problem with it. Many people claim he was telling people who are homosexual that they can change their attractions, and other people said he's saying that God doesn't make us in a way that it's impossible for us to resist inborn tendencies or temptations. How do you interpret what he was saying? Um, that goes more along, along, like I've hinted upon, like earth, uh, earth labels. In the Grand Councils of Heaven, we voted upon Jesus Christ to be our Savior. There is no one gay there. There is no one bisexual, no one transgendered, just male and female, intelligences, spirits. We come down to have this mortal tabernacle of flesh that each has its own quote-unquote tendencies or trials and tribulations or whatever you want to call it. None of this is going to carry with us in the next life. I know I didn't have gay tendencies in heaven, and I'm not going to have them when I cross over the veil. He hit the nail on the head. I, change is totally possible. But you have to have desire within your heart and mind. Otherwise, you're going to be angry. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to act out. And you're not going to support the church's beliefs and standings because you yourself don't believe in them. Period. So do you think that um, some people are born with certain, I guess, weaknesses or inclinations or tendencies that may make it more difficult for them to avoid engaging in homosexual behavior. Yeah, I could sign that along with my addictions. 
I know I have the addictive gene. I got it from my father, and he got it from his parents. So that's something I have to learn to deal with. And it's a choice for me to pick up alcohol when I drank or drugs or whatever I did. Same thing comes along with with being homosexual. I don't think it's a gene per se, but certain things has happened in your life. Like for I said, I was more emotionally sensitive and had at times sometimes effeminate nature. That's gone, but I'm still very emotionally sensitive. But I think there's certain aspects in life that it's a little bit of both. I don't know what percentage, but I think a lot of it has to do with how you're brought up, your behavioral surroundings. You know, you mentioned how, you know, so much of your identity comes from your understanding that you're a child of God and your understanding of where you're going to be going after we, we leave this life. And I can't remember if it's during our recording or before we were talking, you, you mentioned um, how much it meant to you to read the proclamation on the family. Can you comment on that? How has the proclamation to the world on the family affected your view of your own identity and your eternal destiny? Well, I wish I had a copy here, but it says in there that we're all born in our image of our heavenly parents. It says parents, not parent. That means we have a heavenly father, a heavenly mother, male and female. It doesn't say a transgendered father, a transgendered mother, or a gay mother, gay father. And it also says further down, I think from the first paragraph, that our genders are vitally important not only to our mortal probation, but also our eternal salvation. And that's coming from the first presidency back then, and all of them are prophets. To me, to me that was again another no-brainer. I'm sure for some it was a little harsh to hear such truth. This came back years before all the same-sex marriage came out in California and all the other states that have same-sex marriage now. Tell me that wasn't prophetic. I mean, these men are in a, re a position that they are for specific reasons to share the will and the love of our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. Back when Jesus Christ was walking the earth, he said some what they perceived harsh things then. But he always spoke truth. He never deviated from it. I see no difference, just 2,000 years plus in the future. We just have prophets now, except for Jesus Christ telling us how to live our life with commandments that fit into this time and era. You were living in California during the Proposition 8 debate. Yes. Um, how did that affect your life to be, uh, you know, living there in the midst of um, living with another man uh, with whom you had been sexually active in the past? How did that affect your life to be there during that time? Well, we're only about a half hour away from San Francisco. So um, basically, when Prop 8 came out, that further severed any ties that we had with that so-called friends of our of that lifestyle we had anymore. And, the gay community? Yes. Um, but we had no problem with it because we know the eternal doctrine behind it and the truth behind it. We had a little apprehension that was actually... We had more fear of putting signs up on our lawn than being a voice or sharing our words. We blocked like crazy. We had no problem doing that. Well, I guess it's easier to hide behind a screen in some aspect. But when you have something on your lawn, people know where you live. Um, it's strange being called fag haters when supposedly we are fags. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just a weird dichotomy to be in. But um, we just sat back and kind of not last the situation, just last at the situation we were in, not at anyone's plight or emotions they felt, just where we've been, where we're at, and what we chose 
to help to defend. We thought it was peculiar nation in, in in nature, not funny or spiteful like that. I don't know when to get my words wrong. I just think that's how the Lord works. It's like you are on one side of the fence, you're on this side. You see the differences. You see the blessings. You see the eternal aspect of what could be or the could be's. Like I said, we had very little reservation about supporting Prop A. So it sounds like you were both pretty active in um, in supporting Proposition 8. Yes, most definitely. Did you take any kind of official role in, in the, the campaign? I didn't, but uh, my roommate, Kenneth, did. He was called by the state to be our ward representative for Prop 8. Wow, that took... Uh Probably took taking a lot of courage from it. Was it the state president that called him to do that? I believe it was the state calling, yes. Wow. And uh, how did Kenneth feel about that? Oh, we just cracked up. We just thought, like, you know, the dichotomy of it was rather humorous, but um, he really had no problems with it. And so how did you respond to people who were saying, uh, you know, you're trying to take a right away from people who love each other to get married? Um, what was your response to that kind of argument? Number one, it's not a right. It's a privilege. It's hard to have a dis- an honest heart-to-heart discussion with these same-sex people or homosexual or homosexual people if they don't have any reference biblically or spiritually because that's what we – at least that's what I base mine upon. I mean, Heavenly Father married Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, families ever since. Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother married in heaven. I mean, there's there's a reason for everything, and there's families in heaven. To me, it just makes sense. You know, it's been such a pleasure hearing your story. I've benefited personally from it, and I'm sure our listeners will. It's, it's such an inspirational story, and uh, you've got such a great testimony. Before I let you go, is there anything else that you would like people to know, you know, about your experiences or about the the church in general well yes just um, number one the church is true the atonement of Jesus Christ can and does change people but like I said if you don't have the desire it's not going to work for you or with you or through you but I like to share one of my favorite scriptures it's uh, Adam Uzziah that's really helped me with my addictions and to help me to get through my SSA issues and basically anything that I think has a hold on me or an anchor or any type of bondage. And it's uh, found in Mosiah chapter 7, verse 33. And um, it says, But if you will turn to the Lord with full purpose of heart and put your trust in him and serve him with all diligence of mind, and if you do this, he will, according to his own will and pleasure, deliver you out of bondage. And I testify that not only Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, but also the Holy Ghost has testified these truths to me, that um, the only bondage that I put myself into now is self-imposed. Thank God that um, to the 12-step program of the church has helped me with my chemical addictions, also some with my SSA, but basically I just, for me, it was a hard step that we discussed, basically turning our sexual lives over to Heavenly Father to have a more spiritual brotherhood type of love that I have for my roommate and brother Kenneth. I just want to know people out there, it's it's possible. It's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have very, very many tearful nights. 
your heart's going to feel like it's been ripped from your chest, but when you get your heart back mended from the love, the unconditional love from Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father, it's going to be twice as big, twice as compassionate. You're going to love and see through eyes that you never thought were possible. And it's the way to go. It's the way to be. You'll be much happier than fighting the inner demons if you have any. And I'm just grateful for the gospel in my life. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us, Stephen. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Questions or comments about this episode can be sent to podcast at fairlds.org or join the conversation at fairblog.org. Tell your friends about us and help increase the popularity of this podcast by subscribing in iTunes and by writing a review. Music for this episode was provided courtesy of Lawrence Green. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or of FAIR.